This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's show, John Kasich opens a lemonade stand, we dig into campaign ad spending, and we remember the Rick Perry campaign that wasn't. I'm Clay Wirestone, a columnist and editor for The Monitor, and I'm glad to welcome our politics editor, Jonathan Van Fleet. Hi, John. Hey, Clay. Welcome. I'm glad to be back. And by the way, I wanted to say I'm waiting for my $500. We will bring up the $500 later. And also joining us is our politics reporter, Casey McDermott. Good to be back. Good to have you here. And I do not owe Casey any money yet. That's the other advantage of staying out this week. (laughs) Exactly. So this week we thought we would, before diving into our bigger topics, we'd just take a look around some of the kind of the developing stories, smaller things happening. So, um, Casey, you've um, you've flagged a, a press call that uh, Bernie Sanders is having tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got an advisory this afternoon um, that uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign is having a press call um, in advance of his visit to New Hampshire for Labor Day uh, next week, and um, they're calling it the New Hampshire State of Play press call. And... Basically, it's going to involve um, a number of kind of senior officials with the Sanders campaign kind of outlining what their strategy is, what we're going to see on the ground here in the weeks ahead. And I thought that this was particularly interesting because of the timing of it, um, because we had uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's senior advisor, campaign chair, excuse me, John Podesta, in New Hampshire earlier this week. Howard Dean was also here earlier this week. You've seen a number of surrogates coming through the state. Um, Jean Shaheen just announced her formal endorsement of Hillary Clinton, even though she had signaled earlier on this year that she was going to support her anyway. Um, but what you're seeing is kind of this doubling down of the Clinton mm-hmm. campaign on New Hampshire, which is increasingly a competitive state for them. Um, And I think that the Sanders call will be interesting to just see how much they're responding and kind of bolstering their own efforts uh, to prepare for that matchup. Well, and I think there's a lot of pressure on Hillary Clinton to try to tamp down the speculation about people like Joe Biden and the like to show that she has this in hand. She has the situation under control. Mm -hmm. And that they're they're devoted to winning, you know, the early states. Mm-hmm. On a um, just on a similar note too, I think it's interesting that Hillary Clinton had announced she was initially slated to attend an event with um, Senator Shaheen on Saturday that will be the kickoff of this New Hampshire Women for Hillary kind of coalition mm-hmm. effort. Um, but they added another event. Um, that day with a, uh, a group that they're describing as labor allies for Clinton. So given that Sanders will be here for a Labor Day breakfast on Monday, and given that Sanders does speak directly um, you know, to issues that are of interest to members of the labor movement, I think that that was also another kind of interesting dynamic ahead. Um, also today, John, we uh, had word that Donald Trump has, has taken the pledge he has uh, 
pledge to not run as a third party candidate. There was a, uh, a closely watched and much anticipated press conference at Trump Tower. <laughs> And uh, he signed the pledge. And uh, interestingly today as well, uh, the New York Times published an article on his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, a New Hampshire guy, and uh, got some attention. And uh, this is also the same man that our own columnist, Ray Duckler, did a a wonderful profile on a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. So it was interesting that the New York Times is kind of picking up on that story. And I thought Ray did a really good job, you know, and, and found people that were willing to speak candidly again uh, about mm-hmm. Corey Lewandowski. Well, I mean, the the, tr- the Trump phenomenon just, just continues unabated, although um, I think kind of the secondary story there that I've noticed is the the real ascendance of Ben Carson mm-hmm. into second place. I mean, he's doing very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, is he is he in second place in in New Hampshire too? I, no, according to well, according to the averages that Real Clear Politics has compiled, I think that right now he's in about sixth place, okay. um, according to the the data that I have in front of me. Um, but nationwide, he is. They have him in second place to Trump. Mm-hmm. So he's averaging at about thirteen percent. Trump is averaging about twenty-seven percent, and then um, in third place is Bush with about nine. Following, you know, on down with Cruz, Rubio, Walker, Fiorina, um, and the rest of the field. So um, Carson is still being beat by by Walker, Fiorina, Bush, and Kasich in New Hampshire, but. Um, there have been, uh, you know, a number of grassroots volunteers on the ground here who have been mm-hmm. doing some some work in between his visits. So I, you know, I think that it wouldn't be out of the out of the question to see that, you know, bump him up if if he continues to kind of gain visibility. Well, he has really he has some really passionate people. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that's that's something I, I actually remember from the mm-hmm. um, from the uh, Nashua. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of party uh, beauty pageant back in April. The leadership summit. Yes, the leadership summit, as they called it, was that you know I don't I I'm not sure that he was actually there. I don't think he was. No, he I think he was he one was, of the very yeah. few who wasn't. And yet, you know, there was a noted presence mm-hmm. of of folks uh, for him there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, uh, Joe Biden is still kind of dancing around the possibility of running. He uh, gave a speech down in Florida last night. I guess, which was called campaign like, mm-hmm. but um, so John, if so, I I am actually prepared now to talk a little, just a bit before we dive any further about the this five hundred dollars, which I fictionally bet you, which not bet you, I fictionally offered you last time. So I'm actually willing now to give me five hundred fictional dollars. No, I'm I'm actually now willing to talk about real money, and I will I will make you a, an offer now. Okay, that. I will give you 500 real dollars if Joe Biden joins the race. You are, are, is that you just because you're independently wealthy and would like to give me $500 or is that your confidence you're speaking, you're putting your money where your mouth is. That are you that confident that Biden will not enter? Well, I would like to point out that last week I did say I thought it was more possible that Biden would run, but just just for uh, for interest's sake and the fact that you know it's got to be something more interesting to talk about than politicians all the time, I will actually put money on the line uh, and say that uh, you know if if Biden runs, you get it. 
Wow. So that is a gift you didn't know that you wanted. But it's true. And so I guess if he if he doesn't run, then I would owe you five hundred dollars. No, no, no. See, I'm not. I'm not actually even even saying that. I'm just saying, by but you know. Okay. Five hundred dollars for Biden. So we'll All see. Right. I, I, I will say I actually feel fairly confident that I will not have to pay out. Okay. However, if I do, I also would expect, let's say, some sort of bonus in my next check from you. I, so, I understand. So. I understand. We, we can make that happen. And I'm suddenly more personally intrigued in the Biden run than I have been in quite some time. Exactly. Okay. Personally invested. Exactly. Back to... What we were talking about before, well, uh, which ben, was what Ben Carson, <laughs> oh, ben Carson. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the poll numbers, you know, there um, we we have a story coming out about uh, Carly Fiorina too and her rise in New Hampshire, and it's what you're really seeing is there's an I think there's a real noted attraction to non-political candidates yes. this time. Look, if you look at Fiorina, if you look at Trump. If you look at Carson, and that, you know, my reading of that is people are really fed up with business as usual down in Washington. And so you've got a lot of candidates that are saying, I'm not like that. I'm an outsider, mm-hmm. says Scott Walker, who's been in office since he's 25 <laughs> years old. But it's also interesting to me that, you know, you say that, but this is really on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Like, the Democrats will want more candidates, but their candidates are not necessarily outsiders. Like, yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that Sanders is an outsider and that he is not necessarily viewed as part of the Democratic establishment. Right. Um, um, in the same way that Clinton might be viewed as part of the Democratic establishment. So in that respect, yeah, you've got these candidates who have been in office for some time, but I think um, it's more of a perception mm-hmm. issue than anything else. Yep. And then on the Democratic side, you also have Lawrence Lessig, Harvard professor, who's the true definition of outsider, but he's he's the least popular guy in the race polling wise so it's not like he's he's the equivalent of trump he's trying to get money out of politics so he's picking up on that kind of trump message that money corrupts and yet it's not working for him on that side So let's move on uh, to Ohio Governor John Kasich. Um, Not quite as spectacular a Republican as Donald Trump, perhaps, but he did stop uh, at New England College on Wednesday, and Casey was there to watch his question-and-answer session with some Hineker Community School students. So, Casey, what can you tell us about the scene at NEC? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think that there was necessarily a lot new in the way of substance um, at the town hall. Kasich uh, answered some questions on on immigration and outlined, you know, a, a pretty consistent plan with what he had indicated that he would support before. You know, he thinks that securing the border is important. He wants to, you know, make sure that we're addressing people who might have criminal records or you know, who might have come back in after they were kicked out. Um, And he also, you know, thinks it is important to provide some kind of, you know, way for people to stay here, um, you know, provided that they maybe like pay a fine or or Mm -hmm. 
take other steps like that. Um, and um, he also was was pressed a little bit on Social Security. Um, there were several representatives from the New Hampshire AARP there, um, and he wasn't ready to really give them specifics or to commit to, you know, would you agree to X or would you agree to this? Um, and I think that, you know, talking to one of them afterward, they weren't really sold on that because New Hampshire voters like their candidates to be able to say where they stand on things. But, you know, it's still several months out from the primary. So I think there's time for him and others to develop more concrete plans on that. Um, what I was actually walking, watching there um, in the absence of kind of, you know, a more breaking policy news story was a group of uh students from the Henniker Community School who had trekked across the covered bridge behind their school to get to New England College um, to see this presidential candidate. And, you know, they're back in school for the year. Their teachers figured this was an opportunity for them to really engage with New Hampshire's political process. Um, so two of the students had a chance to ask him questions. Um, one of them asked what he would do to help the middle class. The other one asked, uh, what will he do to make gas prices lower because this 11 year old felt that gas prices were too high and that that might be a problem. Um, so Kasich had a little kind of lemonade analogy to explain supply and demand um, that he used in response to her. But I found it kind of funny talking to the girls afterward that, you know, leave it to a pair of 11 year olds to really come up with a humbling description of a presidential candidate because I was asking them, you know, were you nervous? What advice would you give to other people who want to talk to presidential candidates? And the one told me that, well, you know, you're just talking to a regular person. It's nobody like really famous or anything. So, you know, which was, you know, what these candidates often encounter on the trail here. It's like, you're this big, you're a big deal in your home state. You're a big deal in D.C. But once you get to New Hampshire, you're just a regular person like anyone else. So I thought mm -hmm. that was kind of a, an interesting note. Well, what I liked a lot about your your story, Casey, and also about just kind of, of the pictures of it is, mm -hmm. you know, that that is the, the true New Hampshire primary experience there. Mm -hmm. You know, answering the questions from the kids, kind of having a broader audience, you know, watch you. And, and this is where you really... You know, this is where there's actually a potentially a big payoff and a big risk mm -hmm. because you're you're out there truly unfiltered, mm -hmm. and if you really make a connection, if you really have that human touch, mm -hmm. people react really well to that. On the other hand, if you stumble, mm -hmm. if you're not quite sure what's going on, you know, there's there's no one to catch you mm -hmm. on that either. Um, so John Kasich, he just seems to kind of be going pretty slow and steady here here in New Hampshire too. It's, yeah, I think I think he is. He's appealing to voters here, you know. He's got his his plaid shirt. He's he's got it unbuttoned a little bit. He's a little bit looser, and so I think he is fitting the mold of the plain talk that New Hampshire voters are looking for. He's he's a spontaneous speaker. He's got some charisma. He's got experience, and so I think that's attractive to a lot of people, and and that's it's showing for him and beyond all of that you know he's he's really building up a political machine here whereas you know we had reported earlier that uh, Rick Perry's um, campaign has basically 
not basically, it has disappeared. It is gone. Mm-hmm. And so some of his operatives have gone to Kasich's campaign. And so therefore, it, they are gaining steam as others are, are fading away into the sunset here in the primary. Well, and that's that's one of the other things that we're seeing, too, is is it's not just kind of the candidates that have traditionally been polling just like at one or two percent like Perry that have been fading away. You know, we've also seen kind of drops in enthusiasm for people like Scott Walker, mm-hmm. who was at one time thought to be a front runner and has kind of mm-hmm. ha- has moved back. You know, even Jeb Bush has 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 definitely struggled of late. So I think, you know, Kasich as kind of the another establishment pick, mm-hmm. you know, is 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 definitely kind of. I will also point out that he was wearing, um, he might have been wearing a plaid shirt at another event, but his shirt yesterday at the town hall was this very uh, unique short-sleeved polo that was had these purple stripes on it. And I had gotten there after he had been at some other stops and some of the reporters around me had remarked that he had changed. So that was kind of a, you know, a fashion choice that stood out <laughs> in the room there. So... Um. So moving straight ahead here, uh, also earlier this week, um, we published a story, an interactive web graphic about campaign spending by candidates and uh, their super PACs. Casey, you uh, put that package together. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you learned? Sure. So this was uh, my attempt to kind of take a first look at what we're seeing this year um, in terms of ad spending. And um, we're just shy of six months out from the tentative date of the New Hampshire primary. And, you know, August, as you might expect, was a pretty busy month. It's like it's tomorrow. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in, in some ways it's like it's tomorrow, but in other ways it's like, oh, it's, it's like years it's, from now. Yes. But um, anyway, so, you know, went through some files, well, a lot of files rather, um, on the internet that are available for public inspection um, and looked mainly at WMUR because it's one of the more popular choices for candidates who are advertising in New Hampshire. Um, And it also just had the widest range of um, candidates and PACs that were advertising on there. So in terms of doing kind of side by side comparisons, that was the best one um, in my view. Um, And it was really interesting. As I was looking through it, I found that um, there's kind of this interesting pattern that is playing out where candidates um, are being charged much less than super PACs are being charged. And this isn't necessarily anything that's like new to 2016, but in talking to experts who are, you know, observers of ad trends and political ad spending, they said that, you know, we might be poised to see this trend you know on a more amplified level this year just given the continued growth of super PACs so as one example um, Chris Christie's campaign and Chris Christie's super PAC have both been advertising in New Hampshire pretty heavily but if you look at one of the ad slots I think it was like the 6 p.m evening news on WMUR Chris Christie's campaign was charged a thousand four hundred dollars and his super PAC was charged $4,000 for the same slot. So a pretty substantial wow. difference there. Um, and then even when you look at like Hillary Clinton's um, ads, which were some of them were one minute ads, even for the same time slots, her one minute ads, because they were coming from a campaign, were less than what the super PACs were paying for 30 second ads. So that was kind of interesting. And then just also, you know, was taught, continued to talk to those same kind of observers about, 
um, you know, just the trends that we're seeing in super PACs where they're playing more of a role that was traditionally played by candidates where they're doing a lot of the kind of biographical introduction um, on the airwaves that a campaign might have done before. You know, one of the things I was interested at in, in when I was looking at the, the graphic there, Casey, was just who the big spenders are mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, because it's not necessarily the people, it isn't, the, it, they, it, it's not the people who are polling best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I think that we're seeing Chris Christie, who has been on the airwaves for a while, just really trying to make a dent here. Um, you've seen John Kasich's pack on the airwaves for a little over a month now, and that um, you know was definitely timed with his announcement to kind of boost his name recognition. Um, George Pataki, who is not on the airwaves right now, was one of the first candidates on the airwaves in New Hampshire, and you know he has struggled to really gain a um, momentum here. Um, So one of the people that I was talking to uh, had said, you know, summed it up pretty succinctly that, you know, going up on the air early is actually kind of a sign of weakness that, you know, you Mm -hmm. need to take that step to get your name out there because you're not otherwise able to make a dent as effectively. So how do we explain on the Democratic side that Hillary Clinton's got ads out there? Well, that's what I was just Mm -hmm. about to bring up. I think that that, I mean, she has the money to do it. (laughs) That's right. So there's that. Um, But... Getting beyond what they're spending on ads, it's also important to look at what the ads are saying. And in Hillary Clinton's case, um, her first ads were focused on kind of the more personal story of her campaign. So one of them focused on her mom's story and her upbringing and how that informed her. And, you know, the theme of these ads are very much that Hillary Clinton is a fighter and that she understands the struggles of everyday Americans. So in her case, I think that it is a tool for the campaign to, um, you know, project the kind of authenticity and the kind of, you know, real down to earth story that they think is going to resonate with New Hampshire voters. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the real challenge that uh, Clinton has been having these Mm -hmm. last, these last few weeks Mm -hmm. is that there's been some national polling showing that that voters simply don't find her trustworthy. Mm-hmm. You know, that words like liar mm-hmm. are are among the first words that they come up with in, in terms of ways to describe her. So I mean that's that's a that's a tough place to be to be working from. Yeah, and I think that, you know, again, this gets back to like the messaging of those of those ads. And it's also I found it interesting just looking at when the ads were running. Um, that, you know, based on my my review of the ad files, it looked like Clinton was one of the only candidates, if not the only candidate, to advertise during programs like The Bachelorette or during um uh, a soap opera that I'm forgetting the name of. So programs that are very clearly geared toward a female demographic. Um, but she also coupled that with more kind of broad audience programs um, like, you know, the Patriots games, the preseason games, um, a CMA night to rock program. So she's kind of balancing out her, you know, target audience in the female voters and a broader audience to kind of get this um you know, introduction across.
And finally this week, we're saying farewell, in New Hampshire at least, to former Texas Governor Rick Perry. He now has no staff, volunteers, or planned appearances in the Granite State. So, John, can we pay a little bit of tribute to the never-quite-there Rick Perry campaign? We can. Um, However, his folks in New Hampshire, if you want to call them that, aren't saying that he's done or dead. There is a, a, a hope that and an expectation that Donald Trump is going to implode. And when he does, all the people that have been hanging on to the Trump bandwagon are going to float down to earth and land in other candidates' basket. And so there is a belief that maybe Perry can come back alive at the inevitable Trump implosion where he would pick up some of that support. Right. That is, of course, wishful thinking. If those Trump voters uh, are up for grabs, who's to say they'll go to Rick Perry or, or someone else? Um, and so that's wishful thinking. His, uh, his, his former campaign manager um, had said that basically he's going to be focusing on Iowa. So don't expect to see Rick Perry at any backyard barbecues anytime soon. And that's too bad because obviously every Texan loves barbecue. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, I think it's, a, I mean, it's, it's an inevitability uh, when you have a race that has 17 candidates in it, that there's got to be someone who's more or less the first to go. And, you know, maybe it won't be Rick Perry. Maybe it will be, be someone else, you know, someone like Lindsey Graham or, or whatnot. Not, not that I'm saying that Lindsey Graham won't, won't win at all. It's, it's certainly possible. But, you know, some, someone's, you know, it's, it's probably not plausible that all 17 people make it to, you know, the actual election, you know, the actual primary day. I have to say, Lindsey Graham not doing better in New Hampshire is a puzzle to me. He's, he's part of the trio with Kelly Ayotte and John the McCain. Three amigos. The three amigos. Um, you know, he, he seems to be one of these kind of plain-talking politicians that New Hampshire voters generally gravitate to. Um, and, uh, I just heard today that, that he's planning to attend a barbecue at Kelly Ayotte's house with John McCain next weekend. So that's a, you know, he's doing all the right things as we've talked about before, but yet it's really not translating for him. I, I find that a mystery. Well, I think there's also, though, I mean, th- this kind of dynamic that we were talking about earlier today about looking for the outsiders. Mm-hmm. You know, he is, a, Lindsey Graham is, you know, by definition, kind of an insider. Mm-hmm. He is a longtime senator. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he really knows, the, you know, kind of the ins and outs of the power game in, in D.C. And that, that might have might have hurt him. But, but it's true. I mean, he's certainly someone who you would have thought would gain a, a little more uh, traction in New Hampshire. Um, Casey, any thoughts about Rick Perry? He was how, how often was he even here in New Hampshire? He went to what did you call it the uh, the, the candidate pageant uh, mm-hmm. down in Nashua? The right. first in the nation Republican leadership summit. You're very so. good at remembering remembering that. Yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, he was here a little bit earlier on. I covered one of his earlier events in March um, where he was in Concord and then made a number of trips really throughout the state. And, you know, it's just these these words are kind of bittersweet now because the end of my story, as I'm reading it right now, you know, he assured everyone who was there to see him, you'll all see me a lot. 
So now, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. But I think that, you know, at that point, he was pretty optimistic about his prospects, um, even though, you know, I think some reporters who were also there that day reminded him that he didn't necessarily do very well in the New Hampshire primary last time around. So I think that he was hoping that um, this time around would be different. But it just seems like I think there are a lot of candidates and maybe Rick Perry is an example of this where they are just perhaps in the absence of other candidates who are dominating the airwaves and the attention right now, they might have a better shot of appealing to the voters. But there are so many people who are gravitating to these other candidates who have kind of exaggerated qualities um, of someone like a Rick Perry or a Lindsey Graham that it makes it harder for those guys to really make a dent. Well, I mean, it's almost it also makes me think of someone like Rick Santorum. You know, the other Rick, I mean, Rick Santorum did very well in the 2012 primaries. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, this 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 cycle, he has been, you know, almost invisible. I think he's only been here once. Yeah. But I mean, just more broadly, nationally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, um, but but ah, well, Rick Perry, we, um, you know, the glasses looked good. You're glad for the glasses. But it, and it's not like his staff. Uh, walked out in disgust. It's not because they don't believe in him. It's because they weren't getting paychecks. Right. I and mean, there's only right. so so long you can hang on. Right. Well, it's like a business. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you you have a business, and and regardless of how well intentioned the business is or how worthwhile it is, if if you don't have customers, at a certain point you can't run the business. Um, or I guess you become a, a nonprofit or something. <laughs> but um. Anyway, John and Casey, any other uh, any other thoughts about the week as we uh, as we wrap up today? You know, I think it's going to be a busy weekend with Labor Day weekend. There are mm-hmm. a lot of candidates who are set to parade through the state again. Um, I think we have Scott Walker is making a number of stops, and he's taking um, several stops on what is billed as a Labor Day weekend Harley ride throughout the state. So that should be interesting. In um, which he busts unions while I, riding his Harley. That, that would be quite the political the state. cartoon. Um, Hillary Clinton, as we said, Carly Fiorina, Lindsey Graham, um, uh, John Kasich, uh, Lincoln Chafee, Martin O'Malley. Um, so another 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 busy week on the horizon right one of the focal points will be a literal parade the milford labor day parade on monday so a bunch of people will be uh walking in that uh number of candidates okay excellent well happy soon to be labor day to you guys uh john thank you thank you and casey thanks it's been swell (laughs) okay Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast series through iTunes or Stitcher. And stay up to date on all of the latest news at the Political Monitor website, politics.conqueredmonitor.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. A duel. A duel. That's funny. A, uh, yeah. A a duel with what? Paintballs. Oh. I have a feeling I would not do well in that duel. It's okay. Um, So...
bow and arrow? Uh, yeah. Slingshot. Let's, no. What? Uh, how about just cowering? Water balloon. <laughs> okay. Pumpkin chucker. No, no. Water, water balloons is about the size of it. So 